Woman telling her story. Come on, from the heart of the mystery, dispelling years of violence. We are breaking the silence. Welcome back to another episode of the Cocoon Podcast. I am your host, Ruby. This podcast is affiliated with the Blue Butterfly Institute, a not-for-profit organization that is dedicated to bringing awareness and themes around sexual abuse and trauma. We are back on a Zoom interview today with the beautiful Adam Holstein. He runs his own podcast called How You Go and Mate that specializes in discussing men's mental health. He's also a suicide awareness advocate and he is gracefully here talking about men's mental health issues and the impact that that has in society. Stay tuned. It's very exciting. This is the perfect way to start this episode. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast? Uh, My name is Adam Holstein. And I run a podcast. I run it. Well, it's a couple of things, but the podcast is um, "How You Going, Mate." And mm-hmm. the the thing that um, uh, the thing a lot of people think is because you know, "How You Going, Mate" is a a bit of a blokey term, you know. Um, they think it's a men's health podcast. It's not at all. We've had um, a number of women talking about, um, oh, actually, a number of different areas, but a lot of um, postnatal depression stuff, yeah. which is which is really interesting. Um, we also have, I have a friend of mine who I used to work with many years ago, who is a, um, a geriatric mental health expert. Mm-hmm. So I had her on talking about that element of it, but, um, so it's not particularly a male podcast. It is basically designed exactly what we were just speaking about. It's basically designed to, um, normalize those conversations around mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want people to, um, and I, and, and ideally what I actually want to have happen and it does happen and I'm really appreciative of this is I want people to sit and listen to the podcast and hear their story yeah, and feel like they're not alone, yeah. right? Um, or, and so, like, and I always use this example. The very first episode was a, a very old friend of mine mm. who I knew had a story and I didn't, I didn't know quite how powerful it would be, but it was extraordinarily powerful. And I had a number of people, as did he afterwards, sit there and go, yeah, that was my experience too. Um, he spoke about experiences of like childhood physical abuse and mm-hmm. and and you know having an abusive father and things like that, and how that affected him into adulthood. And so that was actually a really, um, and I, I I wanted it to do that, but you never know if it's going to do that. And and it did it did that. It had, so when when people and we get a lot of people um, listening, like so, a person will record an episode. We'll put it out there, and afterwards, someone will, will message them and say, "Man, I didn't know you went through that, or I, I went through that too, and I thought I was the only one." And we grew up together, and we didn't even talk about it. Yeah. So it's a really fantastic. So it's really just about normalising those conversations and helping people to feel like they're not alone. Mm-hmm. But it, it started as a, um, it started as a, a social media initiative, and it sort of pertains to what we talk about here a little bit. And I, I actually, it's really interesting because I've never. I've never really publicly linked these two things together, um, but I lost a friend to suicide in 2017, mm-hmm. and he, um, he, I'd known him for close to 30 years at that point. Yeah, um, we weren't super duper close, but you know, he'd had a pretty massive influence on my early life and my teenage years. And he was actually an adult survivor. And I hope I use the wrong, the right language. If I use the wrong language, please, I apologise and, and feel free to. to Point me in the right direction. That's okay. Uh, You're he, doing completely fine. He was an adult survivor of childhood sexual assault. <laughs> um, now we we didn't have a lot of conversations about that as adults. We had a few conversations as teenagers about that. Um, but as you can probably well, I mean, I think kids today are probably better equipped to talk about it. But at 16, 17 years of age in the early nineties, I wasn't anywhere. I didn't have anywhere near the equipment I needed to talk about that with him. But I saw what it did to him in terms of um, there was a a he was obviously it was a male on male assault, so he was very much against um, gay people. It, it really put him against, and you know we know that you know there's no correlation between homosexuality and and you know sexual assault and pedophilia and whatever else. But 
um, he was very much against that and and he was very much about attention-seeking behaviour. Mm. Um, he used to do, you know, he used to do things like pierce his eyebrow in, in the middle of science class. And, you know, you'd be sitting there and he'd go like, hey, Ads, look at, look at this. And you'd turn and look at him and he's like, Ugh. and you go, oh, oh, stop it. Like, don't. But he was very much about, you know, and it was all the facade because there was a little boy inside that was damaged mm-hmm. and he was trying to protect protect that little kid. Um, now, I, I can't say definitively whether or not his suicide was related to his experiences of childhood sexual assault. Um, he 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 didn't talk about that. He didn't say that that was. He did less a note, but he didn't say that was the reason. But he, um, you know, at certain. Well, I'm sure it had an impact. We know that these things have an impact. So he actually, um, when he suicided in in the days after that, I already had the idea for this bouncing around in my head. Um, but somebody in the, you know, I'm a firm believer that when something negative happens, we try and make a positive out of it, you know. Definitely. And um, and so in the, in the couple of days afterwards, we started the How You Going Mate social media initiative. And basically the, the very simple message at the start was um, don't wait for someone to ask for help. Mm-hmm. If you know someone needs support, take the first step, be proactive and check in with them. That's where the How You, you Going Mate comes from. Now, as you're probably well aware, there's a very, very – high-profile and famous uh, mental health initiative that encourages people to have conversations about mental health. <laughs> so we had to differentiate ourselves between the two. But basically what we're looking at, we're focused around a thing that we call active support for mental health. And it is the idea that um, we don't. It, the, the, the initial message is true. We don't want you to wait for someone to ask for help because, you know, Ruby, I'm sure you've had this happen yourself and I'm sure you've said this to people. You know, when you're going through some stuff and somebody says to you, Look, you know what, Ruby, if you need anything, I'm here for you. You just call me anytime yeah. you want, right? No matter, just no, whatever you need, you call me. Now, do you call people? No, it's no. too much, too, ang- too anxious. Yeah, nobody, and nobody does, right? My experience is I'm a white Anglo-Saxon Australian male. I'm supposed to be tough and strong and handle my emotions and be stoic and all those things. We don't ask for help. I, I saw this... Um, the how you go mate started with this message of um one of those social media messages where people and I, look people are well intentioned and they're trying to do the right thing i get that but they they have this message where they go like you know my door's always open and if you need anything please and i used to say to my wife you're not gonna ask for help i have a i have a lived experience of depression myself i didn't ask for help we don't ask for help that's what we do and so but we this is but the message when it comes to help seeking is you know, if you need me, I'm here. If you want me, call me. And the message is out in public. And again, these messages are fine. They need to be out there and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But the message of, you know, don't be scared to ask for help. You know, it's not weak to speak and it's it's manly to ask and it's it's mm. strong to ask. And it's like, okay, that's cool. So active support for men, but, but people don't ask for help. And yeah. so active support for mental health is recognising that people don't ask for help. But I'm sure that your friends, your very close friends are aware of, the things that happen for you and the, and how and in your your mental health and the things that happen, um, active support for mental health is recognizing when somebody needs support, yeah. and offering and giving that support without waiting for them to ask for it, <laughs> you know. So if you haven't heard from like if you know what if 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 you're on Facebook and you haven't posted for a few days and that's unusual, man, I better I better drop Ruby a line because you know that's unusual. Or, you know, if I've messaged you a couple of times and you haven't responded, man, Ruby usually messages me straight away. I better call her and, and see where she's at. The first step is just that and that 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 question, how you going, mate? But then it is, well, well, what can I do to support you? And it's not call me if you need me. So I, I use this example all the time. I had a, a woman that I work with whose father was was passing away, he was dying. And um she was waiting for the phone call, come in and say goodbye. And um the phone call. We all knew the phone call was coming. We all knew what it meant. And we all knew as soon as she got it, she was packing up her desk and she was going because it was time to go. And so she got the first phone call one day and she said, you know, yep, I'm on my way and puts the phone down. Now, one of the other ladies, and again, I, I honestly believe she meant this and people, I think people genuinely do want to help you. But again, we're not going to ask for help, right? No. So she goes, um, hey, um, you know, so she's packing up her desk and the friend says, listen, if you need to talk later on, give me a call. All right. Even if it's just to scream at me, just give me a call. Okay. 
And she goes, yep, no problem. And I spoke to her later on. I go, did you call? She goes, no, no, I didn't. Right? For whatever reason, shame, guilt, I don't want to be a burden. She's probably having a good night. I don't want to interrupt her night, whatever that looks like. But anyway, that's that's the very antithesis of what we want people to do. So the idea is, is in that instance, you, we know you're empathetic. I'm empathetic. We know losing dad hurts. That's going to really hurt. Yeah. We, we recognize that person's probably going to need some support. So rather than say, Hey, if you need help or if you need to call me later on, call me later on. I'm, I'm free. What I'd love people to do is go, I'll give you a call about eight o'clock tonight. See how you're going. If you want to answer, great. If you don't, that's cool. I get it. But I'm going to call you eight o'clock because, like I said, we, we recognize that that's a situation someone needs support in. And then we go, okay, well, I'm going to give you that, or offer that support and give you that support. Even if it's just a phone call, even if it's she's just sitting there listening on the screen for three hours, I'm going to give you that support without waiting for you to ask for it, without encouraging you to ask for it, without expecting you to ask for it. And so that's the message that that's what. The other part of how you go, mate, is, is, you know, you know someone's done deal with something, yeah, give them a call, see how they're going. Like, haven't heard from them for a couple of days. That's unusual. Give them a call. Mm. You know, they've usually rung you like it's your birthday and you haven't heard from him yet. Give them a call. You know, put your ego aside. Don't go, oh, you know, she doesn't ever call me. I don't know. Give them a call. Mm. Um, you know, so that that's – and that but that but that whole experience, everything that we did and everything we started and all the – the stuff we're trying to do um, comes from my friend Steve's suicide and yeah. comes from, um, and not, I don't think, I don't think that I could have called him and changed it necessarily. Um, I do regret our, our football teams were playing each other the night before he died. Um, and I still to this day regret that I didn't message him and go, Hey, the Bulldogs suck, go to para, go para. Um, but, um, but I don't think that would have changed anything yeah. either. I don't think I think he made the decision. Um, we don't actually really know completely what why he did what he did. We we don't have any idea. And unfortunately, um, most of the time you won't really ever know because unfortunately with, with suicides, you know these, um, the, the you know these take months, sometimes years in the making. Usually with suicide, it's not a snap decision. They plan or they have some sort of outcome. It's a lengthy process almost. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, it, look, it is it is interesting, and and I, I can't pretend for a second to understand what he was thinking or feeling. Um, you know, he, I know, I look, I know, like I said, I know he had some stuff with childhood abuse. I know there was some really toxic relationship with the parents. Um, his mum had died a few months beforehand, about six months beforehand. Um, so maybe that created something or triggered something for him. I, I really don't. I really couldn't tell you. I really don't know. And I. I have actually, I mean, obviously spent a bit of time with his wife. His wife is an old friend of mine as well. Spoke to her a little bit in the in the aftermath, and that was a really interesting experience. Um, but, you know, and look, I, I, in the context of what we're talking about here, and I guess this, the questions you sent me earlier, like, like, earlier on as well, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that I think his, his experience of childhood sexual assault would have definitely impacted on his and his mental health as moving forward. You know, we know what that looks like. But um but you know we he he made that decision. Yeah. And you know, it could have been to do with his mum, it could have been some other stuff, it could have been a whole range of things. He left the, the note he left was beautiful. It was just a love letter. Like I love you guys and I'm I'm so sorry that I have to do this, but I love you guys and I'm gonna miss you guys. And it was, and you know, that was a unique experience. And I had his wife on the podcast and we spoke about the impact on her. She still has no idea. She's got no clue, you know? And I, I guess that's one of the hardest parts of that experience is those unanswered questions. You know, someone dies from cancer. I mean, it sucks, but you can go, okay, it was cancer. You know, if there's a reason that like, if they smoked it, like, you know, one of my grand, both, Two of my grandparents smoked super heavy and they both died from smoking related illnesses. Oh yeah, you're gonna smoke super heavy, probably gonna get cancer, probably gonna die. Mm-hmm. We can we can we can explain that and understand that um and rationalize it to a certain extent. You can't do that with suicide. And it's just so it's just so horrible. The the unanswered questions. So you know, we um we know that there's been a few I've had 
some pretty cool experiences. We know that there's been quite a few people that have listened to the podcast and gotten help. Um, you know, we're not talking thousands of people, but, you know, if we save one person, if one person feels better because of this, yeah, man, bring it on. That's all we need to yeah. do. Definitely. I mean, a lot of it, like I've listened to a lot of your podcast episodes. My favorite one that struck me the most was the one about Valentine's Day. And you were speaking uh-huh. about like how people feel alone on Valentine's Day. And uh, like, yeah. and as someone who, who does spend Valentine's Day alone, I, um, I did feel confident in that knowing that, you know, I wasn't the only one that was experiencing this kind of sense of, of loneliness. So I really value yeah. that episode specifically. But just moving back to um, suicide. Now, obviously, statistically right, sorry, statistically wise, the rates of uh, suicide in men are higher here in Australia Massive. than it is Massive. in women. So Massive. why do you think that is? What do you think the barriers are with men when it comes to kind of help around sexual or even just trauma in general that are different to women? Why is it such a niche experience? Um, think about when you were a little kid, right, and you fell over. Um Little, little kid, go back to your like earliest memories of falling over, all right? Now, I'll just assume there was mum, maybe dad around the place, you know, and you fell over and, and think about what your experience of that was. What did mum do? Mum went, oh, Ruby, you okay? Up you get, darling. You'll be okay. And she, she cuddled you a little bit and she helped you process your pain, you know, let you cry and comforted you until you stopped. And then she said, okay, you're all right now. Let's have a look at you and we look and see if there's any broken bones or any major injuries, and there usually wasn't. And um, and then she went, oh, good on you, darling, off you go, right? And men, boys have the same experience, so I'd certainly have the same experience. But you get to a point where you fall over when you hurt yourself, and the response, rather than being like, come here, mate, give me a cuddle, you'll be right, come on, you'll be okay, process your emotions, cry it out, go, go through it all, come on, mate, get up. Be tough. You'll be okay. Come on, shake it off. Yeah, come on. Didn't hurt. You'll be all right. Yeah. I used to have one of my mum's friends, and her favourite expression was, "Is your guts hanging out?" And what that meant is, is like, "Are you badly injured? No, you're not. We'll get on with it, right?" Yeah. And and I think that's I think that's where it starts. I think that's where it starts. We get conditioned from a very young age, and it happens to girls as well. I'm not saying it doesn't happen to girls, but it definitely happens from boys. We get conditioned from a very young age that we can't, you know, that crying that we go through, that's processing our emotions. That's 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 going through the emotional response. You have to go through that. Um, and then at the end when somebody then somebody goes, All right, well, let's check and see if there's anything seriously wrong. Well, that's that's like, okay, you've you're sitting there crying and you've got this all out. Okay, let's see what what we're actually dealing with here. Um, but from a young age we get told, sit up and be tough. Amen. Right? And that's yeah, and that's a message that we get sent. Now, again, and it's very, look, this is very gender s- stereotypical and all of those sorts of things. But again, and we still live in this world where this happens. I know we're trying to change it and everything like that. But what are little little girls' toys and little girls' games around caring and nurturing and loving and that sort of thing, where boys' games are around building and, you know, structuring and, you know, they're, you know, very powerful, logical things. Yeah, it's day one, man. It's from a very young age. Um, I think there's a real, you know, there's a real shame and fear around how people are going to react and respond. Yeah. Um, I think that's where, you know, like, look, I am personally have never had an experience of sexual assault. I've known quite a few people that have and I've got, you know, my secret, I don't know if you knew this, I'm not sure if you were told, but... Um, my 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 mum actually was a the admin person for a sexual assault service for a long long time, so I'm pretty well versed in in all of this sort of stuff. But I've I've never had to, um, I've never had to feel the shame mm-hmm. or the fear the response or fear the reaction you're going to get from exposing yourself or ex- telling someone you know that you know disclosing to someone that I've been sexually assaulted. I've certainly had a few people do that and, and look as a younger man probably didn't handle it well as an older man had learned how to handle it better. Um, but I think that that fear and that shame, and, and this is one of the things that we really focus on in, in our message that around any kind of mental health, but particularly when we talk about diagnosed mental health conditions, 
the fear and shame around, you know, I don't want people to know who I am. I don't know. I don't want people to see this side of me. You know, I've got to keep this hidden. I've got to keep this to myself. Um, I've got to make sure that people don't, you know, I, I remember when I first was taking medication, I always say, I always joke with people, I was a lightweight in the mental health world because um, the first counsellor I took, I really liked and I really got along with and it worked for me. And the first medication I took, it worked for me. I was, it was awesome. So I talked to these people that have like, you know, multiple medications and take years to get their mental health under control. Like, no, 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 man. I just, oh, it was easy for me, <laughs> but it wasn't, but it was. But I can still remember being in, um, in the chemist and collecting my medication. And someone would go like, uh, is this is this for you, Adam? Is this the Movox? And I was like, oh, it's, yes, yes, because I was afraid that anyone was going to hear Movox and know what I was taking, and go, oh, well, he's got depression. Look at him. Yeah. I don't care now. Like I don't. I literally like I have a podcast that's been listened to all over the world. I've spoken about it numerous times, but um, I really think that fear and that shame that we experience is so so powerful. And the messages around mental health and the messages around, you know, you think about the language we use when it comes to mental health, yeah. you know, and we've used it, we, you've used it, you know, words like, you know, and the really negative language we use, like, you know, nutcase and looney tunes and things like that. Um, why, why would we say something if that's what, if the people around us, if that's the language I use, if that's our attitudes, yeah, man, you keep that hidden, you don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, and, and I grew up, look, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. I grew up playing footy, ultra-masculine environments. You know, we just didn't talk about that stuff. Yeah. You kept it hidden. And so I think we are slowly moving into a space. Like I belong to a group called the Men's Table. And the Men's Table is a group of men and there's about 130 tables Australia-wide at the moment where we meet once a month and you come in and you have a dinner together, you, you go to a pub and you sit down and have a meal and you talk about what's been going on for you that month. And it's incredible because we are trying to create a space where a man can feel safe to walk in and say, here's how I've been feeling. Yeah. But I think the I think the biggest thing with all of this is it, the, the sense of relief empowerment call it whatever you will you you may have had your own experience of this that you feel when you realize you're not the only one yeah you know that you you know your mental health will tell you you're the only one no one else has felt like this no one else has experienced this before yeah. you're special you're unique not special in that good way especially in that like nobody else gets this mm. yeah man everybody gets it yeah you feel seen <laughs> you feel like you feel like it's like oh my god someone finally understands me yeah yeah, yeah. It's the kid, you know, like the example I always use, and, you know, we know how high, you know, the, the, the rates of suicide are higher in the LGBTQI community, right? Um, but it's the kid who watches Marty Gras on TV one day and goes, oh, there's other people like me, and almost makes a pilgrimage to, like, Darlinghurst, you know, yeah. because that's the mecca and that's the, that's the centre. And they go in and they see, oh, there's people that look like me and feel like me and act like me and dress like me and, you know, oh, what liberation is that? Um, you know, and it's for me when I'm talking to guys about mental health and I'm going like, man, I took medication and it's like, what? Oh, okay. But you, <laughs> I actually had to do it one day go like, oh, is that why you're so happy? Because you take antidepressants. No, dude. <laughs> the antidepressant just stops the brain going. <laughs> That's all that does. Antidepressants um, give me a normal day, mate. They're not really. It doesn't make me happy. It helps keep me going. <laughs> You know how I liken it to people? This is how I describe it to people, right? So if you imagine your brain is a spa, right? And you turn the spa bath on and you chuck $2 in and I say to you, go and find the $2 coin, right? Now, to find that $2 coin, you got to get in there and really get messy, right? And it's going to take a little while and you're going to get really wet. If I turn the spa bath, spa bath off, you can see the coin, you just reach in and you grab it out. And I think of antidepressants in the same way. The $2 coin is whatever you're trying to manage or process or get your head around. The antidepressants turn the spa bath off. They stop your brain from swirling. And for me, it just helped me to, to, to think more clearly and to understand and to process. And, you know, I did counselling and I did a whole bunch of other things. Um, I didn't realise at the time, but I was doing all the things I needed to do to manage my mental health. But I, I really, at the end of the day, I went, 
you know, I've just got to, it turned the spa bath off for me. Um, I've heard other people, there's a couple of people on the podcast that have referred to it as um, clearing a fog, yeah. being able to see the path clearly might be the same analogy, might be similar analogy, but um, yeah, man, turn the spa bath off. So yeah, I think, I think men in terms of the rate of suicide, um, well, we, we know that there's a, a correlation between lethality as well. So men often use, um, you know, more lethal methods um, and more final methods. Um, you know, people, you know, you know, we don't necessarily want to give people ideas or talk about which method is better or anything like that, but, you know. Um, I have heard they are know, now a lot more graphic. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. like, and I can't go into detail here, but they are a lot more graphic. They just tend to do things that aren't as reversible. So, like, for example, you, you swallow 50 pills, your body's actually going to reject those pills because you can't chuck 50 pills in your stomach. Your body's going to go, no, 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 and you'll vomit them back out again. Um, where, um, you know, men just use things that, that don't vomit back out again. Mm. You know, that's the simple truth of it. But I, I really think we're changing, and I think, you know, podcasts like this, um, and, it, you know, look, as I said to you, I, I'm not a survivor of adults of childhood sexual assault. I've known quite a few people that have experienced it. If a person can sit there and listen to this and, you know, feel like there's someone in their life that can talk to them, if someone can listen to this and go, shit, man, I, you know, I think, I think probably that happened to my mate. I better just check in with him. Yeah. Or, hey, you know what? Like, I've noticed my mate behaves really strangely or does these really odd things. Um, you know, I better, I better one, I better, I might just ask him the question. Yeah. Great. Bring and it on. Want- That's what we're. Yeah, and also your um, the idea of masculinity really kind of ingrained itself in my mind because I did do some research before coming on to this into uh, before doing this interview because I wanted to get some more evidence because obviously I'm not a male, um, so I wanted to get some more insight. Um, the statistics of rates actually of um gendered violence, particularly physical violence against men, have actually gone up but the, mm. the uh, rate of men's shelters have lowered so mm. do you think that there is this kind of sense of of kind of lack of masculinity if a male um does uh point out that they have been uh, assaulted or abused in the past like oh that couldn't have happened to you because you're a man like you could have just fought back 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. absolutely um my first marriage um my ex-wife was quite uh, emotionally manipulative, and I and I really actually really struggle with saying this out loud sometimes. But I I was probably a, a victim of emotional domestic violence at times. You know, manipulation and, and coercion and things like that. Definitely control stuff. You know, like financial control and things like that. Um, and to a certain extent, I needed some of that, but it carried on longer than it needed to. Um, there were some things going on for me where I did absolutely need some of some help and support in that way, but it just went too far. Um, and I really struggled for a long time to say out loud, yeah, this has happened to me. Yeah. And I did in in my role that I work in now, um, I work as a trainer and I did some training with a with a, a domestic violence service and they were able and I was able to talk really quite I talked personally, but I, I sort of didn't talk personally about my experience. They said, oh, do you really understand this area? I was like, yeah, man, because I lived it. Like, I absolutely had that. And I think that's absolutely the thing. And I think, you know, when it comes to domestic violence, if it's a female male perpetrator, yeah, you're a, you're a man. Like, what are you? You're in place. Like, yeah, yeah, you're a pussy. Like, get yeah. on. Like, be a man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, even thinking about the insults that we use, like, big girl, like, we, we use gendered insults. I try and, trying to stop that now. I'm really, I'm, I'm, look, I've been bad at it in the past, but I'm trying to be better. Um, but, you know, and I think the same thing goes for the sexual assault stuff as well. You know, like, why didn't you fight back? Why didn't you do this? I mean, I don't I think, I, I don't have any idea of what the statistics are, but I do know that female perpetrators are very low percentage. Um, and so female to male sexual assault, you know, is, is happens, but it's not, it's not as obviously prevalent as, you know, male to female or male to male. Actually, um, the reports of it are increasing. So there are a lot more are reports. Really? Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure if it is uh, increasing per se, but there are a lot of men now who are more comfortable in reporting and stating, hey, I yeah. was assaulted and it was by a female. Yeah, it's always the big question, isn't it? Ruby, um, you know, is it happening more often or are we just talking about it more? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think more. I think we're just talking about it a lot more, yeah. which, which yeah. I think is beautiful because you know it it is raising insight into awareness, and I think also just more understanding. Yeah, 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 and I look. I think so as well. And men hearing other men tell stories and feeling like they can talk about it. Um, you know, men, the, the, and also the systems. Like we were talking about this a little while back. My, I've got a family member who's an older lady. She's in her eighties now. And she was a, a, her husband was a terrible domestic violence perpetrator, just awful, um, really, really horrible. And, you know, they play, they would call the police. And this is, you know, we're talking 70s and 60s, 70s and 80s kind of thing. Um, and they'd call the police and they'd say, you know, oh, look, you know, and the cops would turn up and just go, oh, mate, come on, mate, don't do that to her. You know, you've got to treat her better than that. Just pull your head in and leave. Do nothing. You know, there was no structures. There was no support. I mean, you know, now in this day and age, if, and I appreciate that it's still a very difficult thing to do and talk about, but if a woman reports domestic violence, there's things in place, there's services in place, the police mm-hmm. take it much more seriously. And so, you know, it's a really, there's a different world out there in terms of supporting people to, to feel safe to do the, to report these things. And I think that's what we're seeing with, with men and reporting assaults and abuse and things like that and domestic violence and sexual violence. That we um, you know, that we are actually having, we've got structures in place now where men feel safe that they can talk about it, you know, and that and that's great, that's fantastic, you know, more power to it. I think the more people that are having these conversations, the more services there are like us, you know, you guys and me, the better off we are because you know it doesn't matter if we're all saying the same thing, you know, there's a group that will hear you talk, there's a group that will hear me talk. As long as someone hears us talk, and goes, okay, look, if they can do it, I can do it. More power to them. More power to them. Yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I like. I think that's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to say. Also, regarding support, um, you do, uh, you do run support groups apart from the men's no. table, or you just do the men's no, table? No, 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 no. I so the men's table is um, it's and it's something that a, uh, I got I got introduced to those guys a little while back, and I had them on the podcast, and they set it up. They literally started with one table. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, they used to attend a business meeting and it was one of the guys going, you know what, like, this is great. I love the business meeting, but I want to talk about real stuff because I'm going through some stuff and I need someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. So one night they actually sat down and they had a chat and they talked about what was going on and all these men just sat and opened up. Um, and that was, that was not long ago. It was only, I think, 2000 and maybe 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're, yeah, now they're looking at, you know, over a hundred tables and growing and nationwide. Like, I mean, there's tables in Tasmania, there's tables in Perth, there's tables in Queensland. I think they're talking about opening one in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's worldwide and it's not, we sort of, I sort of liken it. So um, my friend Nathan, who did the first episode talks about attending Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and he's, uh, the way he describes the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting is he gets to go in with a group of people that understand him. Um, they get who he is. He gets to talk about what's going on for him, but none of them try and fix him. They just they just listen to what he's going through. And that's the basic premise of the men's table. None of us, are, in theory, none of us are trying to fix anybody else or give advice, but it is hopefully a space where the man can just come in and say, this is what I'm dealing with in my life at the moment. And um, look, confidentiality says I can't tell you any of the stories, but we get these beautiful moments we get men who go yeah no i'm fine oh no hang on this is going on and don't really think of it as something that's affecting there because like i use that term mental health and for me mental health is an all-encompassing thing we we associate it with mental health conditions and diagnosed conditions and things like that but mental health could just be like you know you wake up in the morning and you find 50 bucks on the road and you feel great hey my mental health is good right um, mental health is just whatever's happening for you in your life and, and where you feel, how you feel mentally, you know? Um, and so, you know, if, if, if your mum's got cancer and she's passing away, um, that's going to impact on your mental health and you're going to need support for that. So, you know, whether it's someone saying, Hey man, how are you going? I've heard your mum's not good. You want to chat about it? Um, and just being able to talk to someone about that or whether it's a men's table situation, where you go in and, you know, talk about, hey, this is what's happened to me this month and this is what's happened, this is what's going on, um, you know, whatever that looks like. But 
when I talk when I talk about mental health, I don't necessarily absolutely mean just diagnose mental health conditions. Yeah. Certainly does take that into account. And we certainly do want people to recognize that, you know, yeah, man, your friend's probably probably got a diagnosis of anxiety or depression or both, you know, or something else altogether. Um, but, you know, you don't have to fix them. You don't have to work on them. You don't have to operate on them. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is support them. All you got to do is be there for them. Um, and that's what the men's table is. Or, and that's what I try and the message, our message as well. You don't have to fix anybody, right? You don't have to do that. You just have to, you know, however you can support the person, you know, um, I mean, I'll give you an example. My wife's got a, a cousin who, um, this is completely off track. It's got nothing to do with like the violence or assault or anything like that. My wife's got a my wife's got a cousin. Hang on, I have a little dog who's scratching. No, Natty, keep her out there, please. That's okay. Um, sorry. It's okay. Um, so I have so my wife has a cousin, and you know, my, my wife's jumped on one day and jumped on the Facebook and gone, um going to do the obligatory happy birthday message it's her birthday it's 40th birthday so she's going to jump on facebook and do the message and she gets on the facebook and she goes oh she says oh this is weird you know my cousin's husband's tagged her and being in hospital in sydney and now the reason that's weird is because his cousin lives in melbourne right mm. now it's her 40th birthday and there's a very good chance she might have ended up in hospital at some point but not in melbourne not in sydney definitely in melbourne so my wife's gone oh that's really weird she's been tagged as being at Prince Wales Hospital. And I go, oh. So we'll give her a call and see what she's what's going on. And she goes, okay. And so she calls her up. Hey, hey, what's happening? Oh, dad. So her, her dad lives in Goulburn. Oh, dad's been having these issues with his back. And it turns out he's got a tumor on his back. And it was actually like making him not be able to walk. Like he was actually getting weakness in his limbs and he couldn't walk. And, and they said, look, if we don't operate and get it out, it's going to permanently attach and you're going to not be able to walk. You know, we need to operate. So he's having back surgery. And we're like, oh, wow, are you, like, are you okay? Yeah, we're all right. And I said, oh, so, you know, your husband's there. And she goes, yeah, but he's he's going home soon. So it's just going to be me and dad and, and, and his wife. And we're like, oh. And we're like, oh, that's awful. So if we were just offering, you know, what I call passive support, well, what we would have said was, well, you know, we're only an hour away. And if you need anything, give us a call, right? My wife gets off the phone and she goes, we've got to go and see her. And I went, yep, we do. Because it's her 40th birthday, the support person that she has in her world is about to leave her. You know, dad's okay. He's in hospital. He's going to have to, and dad is perfectly fine now. Dad's perfectly fit and healthy. It all went well. Everything's great. But, you know, this is really, really, really scary time for her. She needs us. Um, And so we got in the car. We didn't even question it. Whatever we were planning, I don't even remember what we were planning on doing. They got in the car, started the drive, rang her on the way and said, what, what bed's your dad in? No, you don't have to come. No, we're on our way. We're coming over. Oh, okay, cool. And we went and we took her out for lunch and we had laughs and we didn't try, you know, we can't fix her. We can't make it. We can't, there's nothing we can say to make her feel better. But we shouted the hamburgers and we had some laughs and, and that was, and, you know, at the end of it, she hugged us and went, thank you for doing that for me. So it doesn't need to be fixing. It doesn't need to be massive things. You don't need to try and help them sort their problems out. You know, you know yourself. You know, you, you, sometimes your problems are so complex, there's nothing in anyone's going to be able to say. You know, it's it's like, you know, oh, you've broken your leg. Hang on, I'll just go in and get my, my sewing kit and stitch it back up. But no, it doesn't. You can't do that. We need professionals to do that. But can you lay here with me until someone can come along and help me? That'd be great. And that's that's effectively the message we're trying to get out. You know, we, we don't want you to fix we can't fix we can't fix me but you can certainly sit here and, and help me get someone who can yeah know. and honestly i mean i could i could dedicate an entire episode between you know the difference between passive and active support because it's such a really important conversation yeah. um i might do that with you in the future actually let's do, do it let's episode. do it and then we and then you can do a recording with me and everything will be wonderful yeah exactly we'll, we'll exchange it up i think i think that's just yeah. something we can definitely go more into detail about but definitely in terms of um support because like as a female myself you know I get nervous about speaking about kind of men's issues because I don't feel like I can resonate how can Mm. we best support um you know men's mental health or you know like what what's kind of like the better things to do if uh, if a male kind of reveals some personal information to us about their mental health I think you know what's really interesting and I think um just 
that's a great question. And man, you, you, I'm going to give you a response on the fly because I don't ever think I've really ever thought about it. I would say to you, you know, listen and don't fix, but don't make us feel stupid. Mm. You know, I'll give you an example. I don't like, I never used to like to cry, right? Never used to like to cry. I hate, um, and, and I hated crying, not because I'm like manly and tough and masculine, right? I hated crying because I go red and blotchy and I look horrible. <laughs> pure vanity, really yeah. pure vanity. And so I, I went to, um, when Steve passed away, I cried for two days straight, <laughs> like uncontrollable sobbing for two days. I'd be sitting in my car and I'd just break down in tears, right? Now, it's like that switch something in my brain or unlock something because, mate, I cry all the time now. Mm. I mean, I cried episode. I, we're watching, this is how bad I am. We were watching epi- epi- New Zealand episodes of The Doghouse. You know that dog show where they adopt dogs? Yeah, yeah. I cried in it too. <laughs> eight episodes. I cried in every one of them. Like literal tears. This is so beautiful. Like oh, happy tears. Oh, yeah. God. It's amazing. Now, it's it's really interesting. Like um, I talked one time in a training session I did about and what, what did I cry at recently that like is silly to cry at, but I cried at it. It's probably a TV show or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I talked about that and it was really funny because one of – and now this training session was a group of people I knew and the lady who said this was a good friend of mine and I knew she was not being horrible to me. But the first thing she said to me was, you big sook? Mm. And I went, yep, that's the issue. Right? There it is right there. Now she And I said, well, that's the issue because – and she went, oh, I was joking, I was joking. I didn't uh, – I know you were, and I get where you come from. And our relationship is a jokey relationship, and I understand that. I said, but I said, if I actually, what the one I was crying at a little while back. So I've got this little fluffy dog that's scratching on the door at the moment. Her name's Daisy. She's a Maltese Shih Tzu cross. She's the canine love of my life, right? And I never thought I'd be I'd be the guy saying that. And fortunately, I don't value my, I don't judge my masculinity on how big or tough my dog is because my dog is neither big nor tough. But I was watching an episode of one of those animal programs where the woman actually had to put her animal down, and and they showed you the it was like very like it was full on. They showed you the process. They didn't show you the injection part, but they showed the animal actually laying down and passing away. Yeah. Very confront. This is on Channel Nine, like very confronting. And I was in tears because that was my dog, right? And my mum looked at me and went, "Are you crying at this?" Almost like, "You serious?" Now, my mum's pretty cool and she's very emotionally aware and, and whatever. And I was like, yeah, mum, because that's Daisy. She went, oh, okay, yeah, I understand that. But it's that I, I think if we talk to you about what we're going through, don't make us feel silly. Don't make us, don't put those masculinity judges, judgments on us. You know, um, you know, find out why we're feeling like we're feeling. Mm. Find out what's going on. Don't, you know, and you, you've heard it yourself. People have said it to you. You may have even said it to people. Oh, you should do this, or you should do that, or you know, try doing it, or you know, you know, it's all in your head, or whatever, whatever we hear. Don't tell us any of that stuff. Don't tell us how we should or shouldn't be thinking. Listen to us. Sit in the space with us. I call it staying in the conversation. Stay in the conversation. It's going to get hard. You're not going to want to stay there because we hate hard conversations. But stay in the conversation with us. Let us talk about it. Don't make us feel silly. And help us to understand, you know, how we can get support to manage that. Yeah, and that's that's the, that's the absolute key. You know, I think that's the absolute key. I think it is really just rather than reinforcing that gender stereotype that you have to be tough. Tell us it's okay not to be. Show us it's okay not to be. You know, even and if something we, like as simple as saying, "I'll oh, just know that," like I'm I'm holding space for you right now. Just you tell me whatever you want. I'm here to listen. Yeah, and look, the, the downside of doing what I do is is I go to a lot of places and people come up and go, you got five minutes for a chat? Mm. It's not a it's not a downside, it's a privilege. But, um, yeah, I got five minutes for a chat because they know I'm up for the chat. Mm. And I spent Christmas Day talking to somebody about their cancer diagnosis and how it makes them feel, and they went, this is the last thing you wanted to talk to about on Christmas Day. And I went, nope, this is exactly what I want to talk to you about on Christmas Day. I'd much sooner have this conversation with you than what's happening on maths or what the Kardashians are doing or, you know, what Love Islanders are doing. Like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I want to have the conversation where you talk about how you're really feeling about something. And I'm totally down with that conversation every single time, every single time. Um, So, you know, 
people know that I'm going to be there for them. I'll hold space with them. I'm not going to make them feel dumb. I'm not going to judge them. And and that's the beauty of the, the – I joke that it was the downside of the podcast. It's the beauty of the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, that that your mates ring you and go, I feel crap, you know, can you help me? Um, you know, my mate Nathan that I talked about went from being the – he still loves his footy, but the footy-loving, beer-drinking Aussie bogan to being a guy that one time I went to do a recording with him and as I walked out, he goes, oh, have you read this book called Affirmations for the Inner Child? You should read that. That's a fantastic book. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but every day I'm it's familiar with it. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love and it. I went, I went and bought it. Like I literally jumped onto eBay and went, sold. Um, and um, I was like, you do realise that the old Nathan would have laughed at the new Nathan, don't you? You do realise that the old Nathan would have went, you're kidding, that. Yeah, Affirmations for the Inner Child. But that's that's how much he's changed. And I and I actually I said we had this conversation a little while back. If he can do it, any man can. Yeah. You know, and that that's the, the truth of it. Um, and I'm 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 hoping that men don't. Have, you know, Nathan had to go through a fairly traumatic, you know, process to get to that. But if if he can do it, any man can. And I'm hoping that other men don't have to go through that trauma. Mm-hmm. They can just, you know, they can just do this without having them to do any of that stuff. But, you know, we, we know that we don't grow when we're comfortable. We grow when we're uncomfortable. We, we change when things are not good, you know, because, we you know, when comfortable, we just don't bother. Yeah. What, what change if it's good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And speaking of, like, going back to feeling uncomfortable, I mean, you deal with such very heavy topics in your podcast, and that's where I really love listening to it. But how do you not let it emotionally affect you? How do you take care of your mental health? Uh, oh, it's you know what? It's really interesting. So, I I don't want to I don't want to say I think I'm special, but I just I just don't I just don't like um. It's not my problem. I didn't create it. I didn't have to live with it. I didn't have to deal with it. I don't have to fix it. And it, I know it sounds all like it doesn't sound right to say it that way, but I don't have to fix it. Um. I, I just have to sit in a space with someone while they talk about it. Mm. The podcast is also more focused on, so it, it's, it's, we certainly want to hear about what happened to you, but we want to hear about how you manage yourself now. Yeah. So I often get to hear about people's, you know, redemption stories and comeback stories, which is really powerful. But so I, I mentioned before that mum worked in sexual assault and she saw the worst of the worst, mm. right? And some horrific things, absolutely horrific things. And, um, I remember having a very similar conversation with her one day where I said, how do you do it without it getting to you? And I said, and she said, because I'm helping them. I'm a part of their recovery. I'm a part of them coming back. You know, you don't, her, her very firm opinion is, is yeah, she doesn't use the word um, survivor of sexual assault. Like you don't overcome it. You don't, you don't, it doesn't leave you. It's like losing a limb. You don't regrow the leg. You just learn how to live with it and how to manage it. And but she said, I am the person that helped one of the people that helps them do that. You know, when you called the service, she was the person you spoke to to book your appointments in. You know, um, she was the one that typed the medical report. So she saw absolutely horrific things on her computer screen. Um, and then, you know, she had people afterwards come up and say to her, you know, thank you. You made this, you know, you made this horrible experience bearable and better. You know, you're, you were the smiling face. Oh, you that's were the, so inspirational. You know, you, you were the person that, you know, made it easy for us to make this phone call and make this appointment and, you know, you never judged. And she doesn't. She still doesn't. She doesn't judge, you know. Um but, you know, you were that person. And so she and, – and, look, she had a great support network. She had people around her. But – and I think I that some of that's rubbed off on me. I just get to tell – I just want to tell people stories. Mm-hmm. Like I love people's stories. I love hearing the stories. I don't have to take on board what has happened to you. That's not who I am. I can empathise with you. Man, it sucks. Like, you know, I have, like I said, you don't, I always say to people, you know, you don't need to hit your head on something to know that hitting your head hurts right that's empathy that's all empathy is 
when someone hits their head on something real hard, you go, oh, that would have hurt. Yeah. When someone goes something through something real tough, yeah, that sucks. You know, you you know that that is, but um, you know, you just show people a little bit of empathy and you just help people get through it. And as I say, you don't try and fix them. I'm not responsible for fixing you. I'm not responsible for what happened to you. I'm not responsible for your recovery. Um, but I will support you as much as I can through all of that process, all those processes. And um, and that's that's what it is. Um, I love the conversations. I know it sounds really weird, and I can't tell it, say it any other way. I love the deep conversations. I love the heavy conversations. Oh, I love that too because because it's beneath that surfle level. I feel like you're truly connecting with someone's soul in a way. Like, yeah, like I don't know. I don't know how to explain it well either, but it's like yeah. you're truly connecting to someone's inner core, their core being, not just what's like surface level, what they mark. It's going through beneath that mask and there's something yep. very strangely there's such a beautiful connection there in a way yeah yeah i can't disagree with you 100 percent. yeah it, it's, it's it's something really nice about it and it's a privilege it's a privilege when people share our stories their stories with us mm. it just is like it just is a privilege you know like we touched on at the very start i'm not sure if we were recording at that point but you know it's really hard to get people to come and talk about these topics mm. and and whether it's sexual assault or mental health you know, there's these incredible taboos around them. But when someone agrees to do that with you, that's a privilege and we treat it as such, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and so, yeah, I, I just think it's – um, I had a, a really int- – I'll tell you this. this is I'll tell you this one, actually. So I had this really interesting conversation and I want to preface this by saying my dad's lovely, right? My dad's a really good man. My parents got divorced when I was very, very, very young. I was 18 months old when my mum left my dad. And I never knew the story of why. I, 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 my dad was an alcoholic. Um, he's 35 years sober now, so he's completely changed his life. But in his younger years, he was a womanizing, wife-beating alcoholic, right? Um, and we've discussed that and we've had our conversations about that and we're, we're okay. Like, everything's good. We've sorted all of, through all of that. But I never actually knew the process. I didn't actually know the story. And and uh, we had this thing last year. Mum fell over and, and broke a hip and had a pretty significant medical sort of period of time. And I thought, you know, my parents aren't getting any younger. I better start having these conversations. And, you know, because there's parts of my story I don't know. So my mum was telling me this story about why she left my dad and some of the things that happened between them. And I won't go into the details of it. Um, but there were there's some heavy stuff in there. Let's just say that much, right? Some of it I knew, some of it I heard for the first time. But she was talking about uh, an episode where um, she was waiting for him to come home, and she goes, "I'm so I'm, she." So she's sitting there going, "I'm sitting there with my baby, and I'm sitting there waiting for your father to come home, and he hasn't come home, and and I'm waiting and waiting, and it's two hours, and he hasn't come home, and I'm sitting there with my baby, and she's telling this story, and then at one point I went, "Oh, hang on, that that baby was me." Like, that was me. I was there. Like, I was there. I mean, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, that was me. That's my experience. That's my story. And it really hit me. But it, there was a part of me that was kind of listening to this story and listening for a while talk about this baby as if it was another person, mm. like another baby, which maybe, maybe it is. I mean, depending on your philosophy and your belief system, you know, maybe it is another person. We know that every cell renews every seven years, and so technically, it wasn't actually a, a different person. Um, but yeah, like it was this really odd feeling of like, wow, that's you're talking about someone else. Yeah, this feeling of detachment, and then just hearing the story, it was. And she kept saying to me, "Like, are you okay with this?" And I'm like, "Mum, I listen to these stories for fun. Yeah. Like, this is what I do." And she's like, and she goes, "Oh, that's not very good to say." I said, "Well, not for fun, but I have a podcast, and you know what I do." And she goes, "Yeah, that's true." But, um, yeah, we just had this conversation and we, we heard, I listened to the story and I think what I just did in the moment and was just kind of detach myself and listen to the story. Um, it has some bearing on who I am today in the sense of, you know, my parents were divorced when I was young and that had an effect on me growing up. But um, I, I didn't directly experience those things, so I can't really judge them or feel a, a way about them necessarily. I don't remember them. Um, but I think it's interesting how psyche works because I'm not a particularly violent man. I, I avoid fights and things like that at all costs. I'm you know, six foot tall and over a hundred kilos, so I'm big enough. Um, and I reckon I probably saw some violence when I was younger. 
and it probably scared me and I probably learnt that I wanted to avoid that. And yeah. I think that all sub- happened subconsciously. Mm. But that's just me and my voodoo psychology. I don't know if that's the actual truth. It probably is. Um, but I think I, I think I'd learnt to avoid it. So, yeah, I think we just – we hear those stories. It's strangely beautiful. You get to detach yourself a little bit. It is a privilege to tell people their stories. And at the end of the day, you go, you know, if what we do helps another person feel like they can tell their story to somebody – they feel like they're not alone, then 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 that's the that's the win. That's yeah. success. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're never gonna be million, we're never gonna be millionaires doing this, Ruby, let's be honest. Um, you know, we're never gonna appear on like, you know, celebrity big brother or anything like that. Not that we probably want to. <laughs> um but um but they yeah, I, I think if we can if we can have somebody say, Hey man, because of something you did my life's better or different or I did this and it changed me. Yeah. That's it. That's the goal. Yeah. has to be the goal. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really good segment to um, I'll have the final question before this episode finishes. How can we, you know, how can we, you know, for, for the, for the parents that are watching this for the, you know, like I'm 25 for the, you know, people my age that have boyfriends watching this, how can we support the younger male generation that, you know, you know, boys, you know, teenagers, men who have just hit their twenties, how can we support them to be more uh, understanding and active and more confident to speak up about their mental health? You just, it, it will go back to what we said before. Just make it safe for them to do it. Mm. You know, make it. There is nothing worse than not being listened to. All right. Um, and, oh, there is. There's lots of things worse than not being listened to. But for the purpose of this conversation, there's nothing worse than not being listened to. You know, I have people in my world where you. You tell them about an experience, and I'm I'm not going to give specific examples because I'll give them away. But you tell them about certain things, and as soon as you mention what you're doing, that they've had a similar experience, and they start talking about their experience of that. Oh, I I used to do, I used to live there, I used to work there, I used to know a guy that did this there, I did this there once, or this happened here once, and they completely overtake the conversation. And um, I'm actually working on a little thing at the moment, you know, um, signs that you are not listening. And one of the signs that you are not listening is that you are, in fact, talking. <laughs> That's a pretty good sign you're not listening. Um, but one of them is, you know, as soon as somebody mentions something, you start talking about something similar that you did. Um, people need to feel safe. One of the ways we make people feel safe is making them feel like they're being actually listened to. And listening is not the same as hearing. You know, hearing is perceiving the sound. Hearing is being aware that there's a sound being made. Listening is paying attention to that sound. Listening is trying to figure out where the sound's coming from, why it's coming from there. And listening is making the other person feel understood. Yeah. So I think if if we can talk to our young men and have these conversations, and as we said before, not make them feel silly, make them feel like they're being heard, make them feel like they're being understood, make them feel like what they're saying is valid. You know, this look, your, your area is, it was really interesting. I was having this conversation with someone the other day because we are talking about coming on and talking about this, right? Um, because I think attitudes to sexual assault are changing. Um, attitudes to sexual abuse are changing. What is considered to be sexual assault is changing, right? And, and what I mean by that is the, the, the discussions now we're having around consent, right? Um, you know, those are really interesting discussions and we're having really interesting chats around them. But I was talking to somebody the other day and they were telling me a story about somebody they knew who was a male who was assaulted by a female when he was 12, right? Um, and we see this sometimes in the media and it kind of harks back to the thing we talked about before about being a man. Um, I've seen, I've noticed recently there's been a, a bit of a spate of female teachers having affairs with male students, and being found out and, you know. Now, when I was 14 or 15, I certainly had teachers that I looked at and went, wow. Like, I would have been like, as the joker, as Heath Ledger said, the joker would have been like a dog with a car, would have got a hold of them and not known what to do with them. As a 14, 15-year-old, I thought that that would be okay to do. And I thought, yeah, this is cool. 
Um, and I would, I would, you know, was certainly sexually aware and, and, and beginning to explore my sexuality at 14, 15 years of age. And if one of those female teachers had have paid any attention to me, I would have probably gone, yeah. But we know that that's completely wrong. We know that that's absolutely wrong, absolutely terrible, you know, awful to do. So this friend of mine was talking to me about a friend of hers who had, as a 12-year-old boy, had been sexually assaulted by a female. Right, didn't go into a lot of detail about what the process was, but she said to me that her response to him it was a it was a, a friend of mine that was a she was talking about an ex boyfriend. She said my response to him was, "What are you complaining about? You know, isn't that like a young boy's fantasy?" Oh my god! Oh, that's cool. sorry. I should I should put my professional hat on, but that's just such a dismissive, blatant, yeah. response. There you go. That's it. That's and that's what we want to avoid, right? She, as she, she said, as she got older, she went, "Oh, actually, no, that was actually the wrong response. That's awful. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty, dis- you know, pretty terrible." But, and I, and I reckon, again, it's the going back to what you're saying about the male violence. You know, you should have stand up for yourself. Well, mate, what are you worried about? You're 14. Some hot chick wanted you. No, it's sexual assault. It's rape. They're, it's pedophilia. They're kids. You can't do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know that's that's what that's that's the law. You can't do that, and I think that's what we see with young men, where you know that attitude of you know, hey, come on, it's part of becoming a man. You just just wear it. No, that's awful. So when the young man comes to you and says, "I've been assaulted," you know, don't dismiss him. Don't make him feel like, don't minimise his experience. Don't make him feel like he's being stupid. Don't make him feel like, you know, he'll never talk to you again. Make him feel like he's being listened to, properly listened to. Like I say to people, you know, shut your mouth. Stop talking. Like, don't talk. If someone's talking to you, stop talking. Don't think about how, think about how to try and fix them. Don't think about what your response is going to be. Don't, you know, don't make up your mind about what they've said. Just sit and listen to what... You know, um, I love the, the TV show Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've watched it. It's beautiful. If you get if you've got if you get a chance, go and watch it. Um, there's a there's a scene in there where he talks about um, being curious, not judgmental. Yeah, man, be curious. Ask questions. How did you feel about that? When did it happen? What what was the thing? You know, support them if they need to go and see a counselor. If they would you like me to help you go and talk to a GP? Would you like me to help you go and talk to a counsellor? Would you like me to look after the kids while you go and talk to the counsellor? I can take your son to soccer while you do your appointment on Saturday morning, like whatever that is. Um, but, you know, we've got to get in and educate young men really early about... And, and look, I, I think if you're bad, you're bad, and bad people do bad things. No amount of education is going to undo that because some people are just wired differently. But if we get in really early and we educate young men about why, how it's okay, how to talk about mental health and how to talk about vulnerability and shame and how to talk about the really hard things that we, you know, struggle to have conversations about, um, you know, what the motto of the men's table is it's not just about footy and shit. Um, how to have conversations that aren't about footy and shit. How to recognise when your mates are struggling. How to recognise... You know, when it's appropriate to go up and say, hey, go, mate, what's going on? How to ask those second, third and fourth questions, not just, oh, mate, that's no good. Oh, well, hey, you see what's who's playing on Friday night or what movie's on or, you know, whatever. Do you want to go and see this band? Having those extra conversations, you know, and, and if we're in this really beautiful, unique position, I think the only way forward is education and it's a generational thing. If you think about, like, you're 25, so you're old enough to be my daughter. That's awful. Um, but if you think about, so your dad's, your parents are probably roughly my age, a little bit older. Yeah, my, uh, yeah, yeah, they're about 45, 48. Yeah, well, I'm 47, so they're my age. You're old enough to be my daughter. Um, so, but if you think about your dad's generation and then his dad's generation, now think about what your dad's attitude to mental health and and and, and the things that we talk about would have been. Um, and think about what your grandparents' mm. attitude to that would have been, and then and then chuck in things like culture and upbringing and all that sort of stuff. Um, your child, if you ever choose to have one, I don't know where you're at with that, but you know your child will be different. 
because your dad's a little bit different than his dad and you're a little bit different from him and your kid's going to be a little bit different from you. And, and you know, perhaps a, a better version of you, you know, uh, uh, and, and growing up in a different world where the conversation, where somebody, you know, somebody says to you, hey, go on, mate, and you go, yeah, good, thanks. And they go, no, you're not. Yeah, you're right, I'm not. Okay, cool. Let's talk about that. Yeah. That's yeah, that 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 conversation's gonna happen much more readily. And we won't feel ash- like I love the definition of shame. It comes from Hugh Van Kylenberg from the Resilience Project via Brene Brown. Shame is feeling bad about who we are. Yeah. Right. Um, so if we can get to a point where we're not feeling bad about who we are anymore, how good's that? How good's that? and i think yeah sorry keep going no no go go you think what oh i was just going to say like i think that's just a really um inspirational motivating way to to end the podcast and the end the episode you know i think both of us uh, specifically you with, with your podcast you know you're making such a beautiful change in the world and like you said just to people likewise and um and I'm really really grateful that you've come on today and uh, please check out Adam's podcast. How you going, mate? Uh, where's it on? Where's it available? Everywhere. 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 Spotify, Apple, the whole. Thing. Thank you to Adam for participating in this podcast. There has been a whirlwind of information, and I've learned so much from this interview. Please check out Adam's podcast. If you want to get in contact with the Institute or you have any inquiries, please contact the details below. We are on Facebook. We have our own website. We also have a high tea coming up this Sunday. And as a matter of fact, this podcast will be published when that is. And so I hope everyone has had an amazing high tea and it is all going for a good cause. Please stay tuned for next month's episode. It's going to be a fun one. Thank you for listening. Bye. Telling her story. Come on. From the heart of the mystery to spell Years of violence. We are breaking the side.